following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Turn me, if you would, to Galatians chapter 5, uh, verses 16 through 26 is what we're going to look at today. Uh, Last week, we took the first half of the chapter, we looked at um, the first part of chapter 5, and we saw that true freedom in Christ uh, is not what oftentimes we think freedom looks like. So we got to look at what it really uh, looks like. And and what we saw was that no human can be truly free apart from the grace of the God who made them. And without the gospel, we are either in the bondage that comes from from putting our faith in our ability to follow a list of restrictions, or we end up in the opposite bondage that comes from casting off all restrictions, making the mistake that we think that's what it means to be free, okay? And so that kind of helps set us up for where we're headed this week. We saw last week that it's not trusting in or rejecting restrictions or all restrictions, that brings real freedom. It is accepting the right restrictions by humbly acknowledging it is God who made us and thus knows what is best for our flourishing. And it was in the first half of chapter five that Paul introduces this incredibly profound idea. It's it's for the first time in, in this letter, but it's a principle that rises to the top of the heap over and over again As we seek to read and understand the the whole counsel of God's word, there's this principle that it's kind of like the cream that rises to the top uh, of of fresh milk, right? It's it's there all the time. Uh, Why does that happen? Well, it's, it's, it's a summary statement, right, of the right restrictions that bring true freedom. It's love. It's love for God and it's love for others. And, And what do I mean when I say, you know, obviously we saw it here in Galatians that he said, in loving your neighbor, you fulfill the whole law. But why am I saying that this pops up all the time? Well, go back to when Jesus, our master, was questioned on what, what is the greatest commandment? What did he say? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. The second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Is it just Jesus and Paul, or they kind of got their own club going? Well, First Peter 4, 8, above all, keep fervent, above all, does that get your attention? Above all, keep fervent in love one for another, because love covers a multitude of sins. If you go to James 2, more corroboration. He calls loving your neighbor the royal law. If you follow that, you'll do well. Right? So over and over and again, we see this this rising to the top of this this principle. And it's it's in a way it summarizes all that the Bible's leading us towards and what, what it is that we need to understand about our responsibility in terms of following the way of Jesus. And that's helpful because. What, what, the, what it means to follow Jesus can seem very complicated. It can seem like there's a whole lot that we need to do and be worried about. And in one sense, there, there is a lot to consider, but there is a way to boil it all down. There is a way to bottom line it. And that bottom line is love. And today we're going to see some specifics laid out in contrasting a love-motivated life lived by the power of the Spirit and a pride-motivated life lived in bondage to the flesh. And so I just want to be real uh, clear here about a couple things. First of all, uh, we're going to get into the, the fruit of the Spirit here today. We, we preached an entire sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit, okay? So it was, you know, 
eight-week series or whatever it was. Um, so I hope you brought a snack today because I'm trying to do this all in one sermon. So just so you know, um, and I got to go through the deeds of the flesh. So whew, big work. Uh, but the other thing I want you to know is I just want you to get ready, friends, because Christ Jesus, the great physician, he's going to lay the scalpel of his word upon all our flesh today. But the glorious praise of his name, to the glorious praise of his name, this, this is the kind of cutting that brings healing, even if it hurts while it's happening. So just keep that in mind. Uh, the sword of God's word, this blade is good for us. And so it's, it's going to touch us all today but it's good for us. I can tell one of you might be excited potentially over here. The rest are like, oh Lord, what's happening? Well, here we go. You're about to find out. Galatians 5, as I said, we're starting in 16. But I say, walk by the spirit. You will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things... There is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Praise God for his word. Amen. All right, let's go back to verse 16. As I said, we're going to... There's so much I'm going to have to leave on the ground today that I won't be able to pick up and show you. And that's just, it's just the reality of this. This is a very dense set of verses, but we're going to uh, just be led by God's Spirit and, and eat what he has for us to eat today, okay? So, verse 16. The idea behind this phrase, walk by the Spirit, it's a lot of things, but one thing it is, is a full frontal assault on the false belief that there is a, a sacred and secular divide in our lives, Okay? If, if you and I belong to Jesus, then every single part of our life is meant to be lived by the power and by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's part of what this means. Walk by the Spirit. Okay? The, the, the inference there being all the time. That, that, the, the very simplest act of walking, this is going to be done by the power of the Spirit. That the, the totality of our life is seen as spiritual. Right? So what does that mean? Well, one application of that is it's why we often speak here about, about being the church when we're gathered, like how we are today or in community groups or Bible studies. But we also talk about being the church when we're scattered in our neighborhoods and at our jobs or wherever we find ourselves as we navigate the daily rhythms of living. And this word flesh here, right? Say, walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. It can be confusing, and, and that's illustrated, I think, quite well by the different ways that people have understood what Paul is meaning here. Uh, <laughs> I know I, I, I'm, not, you know, I'm not one to uh, tell you what every Greek word is. I, I had to fight the temptation. There's a lot of, of 
help that can come from kind of going back to the Greek, particularly in this passage. So there, there is some of that today, but uh, not trying to look smart. I'm just trying to help us understand what's going on here. So the, the Greek word here is sarx, okay, and, and, and what, for flesh. And it, it's used in other places in the New Testament to mean flesh as in like describing the body, okay? It, it is used that way sometimes. But, but here and in some other places, I would say Romans is another example, a few others, it takes on a different meaning, okay? And it's important to know that because our bodies themselves are not evil, okay? That's not what it's being taught here. Your body is not evil, but the potential for sin still resides within us, even after being made new creations in Christ, okay? And that, even that can be controversial. I'm not sure how, but it, you know, there are people that will debate even that idea, but I told you last week that, that through Christ's gospel, we are made free from the penalty and the power of sin. But one day we will be totally free from even its presence. And that's kind of the reality that we live in. Um, this use of the word flesh, it, it's a way to conceptualize the reality that before Jesus saves, we are slaves to sin. And after he saves, we are no longer slaves to sin, but we still have the potential to sin, okay? That's what's being described here. Before Christ, even our works, which outwardly look good, are stained by impure motives. Why do I say that? That sounds harsh. Well, because as we've been discussing through this entire book, good works, for bad reasons, are bad works, okay? We only have the possibility of doing good works motivated by selfless love for God and selfless love for people after we are born again by God's grace. There's no way that kind of perfect love can be motivating you until you have experienced it, okay? Until it's changed you, all right? So the flesh as it is used here, it can be thought of as the remnant potentiality for rebellion against God that resides within us until the process of being formed into the image of Christ is complete in eternity. Another way to say that is until the sanctification process is done. Okay, There's still a remnant potentiality for us to rebel against God. Now, <clears throat> this, this remnant potential for sin and rebellion, it's in opposition to the Spirit of God, that's what's being said here, which dwell in those who belong to Jesus. And I think if if we're honest and have any level of self-perception, we all are, we're, we're, we feel the reality of this conflict, okay? That it's, it's there. I just, you know, when I think about it, there's lots to say and think about, but I, I do normally end up, the last stop on the, on the train ride for me mentally is that I really yearn for that final day when sin and striving cease. Um, I, know, I know many of you do too, but in, in the meantime... Uh, we're meant to fight a good fight here by the power of the Spirit. And that's part of what we're seeing unpacked today. All right? Uh, so verse 18, but if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. This is really a, kind of a short and sweet way of summarizing uh, this profound truth that was spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. So let me read this to you. Jeremiah 31, verse 33 for this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and write it on their heart, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Really, what's, what we're talking about here is 
it's this transition from our actions and, and what we're doing being regulated by this kind of external law that's written down somewhere that we're aware of to something totally different happening where God, by the power of his spirit, comes and writes that law on our hearts, that it's something that we adopt as a part of who we are, right? Because the, the moral law of God is an outflow of his character, right? And so it's, it's in the presence of God, it's in the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, that part of what happens is the law of God, which is not bad, it's good, it just shouldn't be depended upon for salvation, that law of God is written upon our hearts. We begin to, our, our, this, this thing goes beyond just behavior modification, right? That's part of the whole point of this book, and it's part of something that we really miss oftentimes tragically, is that this isn't primarily about behavior modification. It's, it's about changing us all the way even down to our desires. It's not just about being able to stop doing bad things. It's about starting to really genuinely desire good things, godly things. This, this can help guide our prayer as we navigate some of these difficulties. <clears throat> the Spirit of God living within us is far superior to an external set of laws. It's the difference between you knowing you shouldn't commit some sin and, and trying to resist that temptation by your own strength and willpower or, or being tempted but having Jesus himself sitting right next to you. Okay, You can call it cliche or unrealistic if you want. That's fine. I think you shouldn't. But, but if we took the Holy Spirit's presence in us seriously, we would understand that it is not hyper-spiritual or unrealistic to seek to live as if Jesus is with us every moment. That actually is a helpful way to think about the reality of what this looks like and to then <laughs> move accordingly. I, I thought of, this is, you know, all examples break down, but I was <clears throat> trying to think of of one, and, and this, uh, this has happened, it, it happened more times than I'd like to admit, but I don't think it's happened in like over a decade. You can ask Natalie to find out if I'm being overly optimistic in my estimation of myself. Um, I'm sure she'd like to have that conversation, but uh, I, I remember, <laughs> uh, I remember a, a few times as a younger man at least, uh, primarily that it would be getting, getting cut off in traffic or, or something, you know, either cut off or somebody do, does some ignorant in traffic, and I would, I would become instantly infuriated. I'm talking about definitely to the point of sinful anger. Um, and there, there, were, there were several times that happened. Natalie would be with me, and <clears throat> it was this incredible thing. She, she didn't try to scold me like she was my mother, because she's wise. Um, but, but she would just gently reach over and, and like, touch my arm. And that was it. And in that simple act, I was reminded, right? Because I don't know about you guys, but when I get real angry, real sinfully angry, I get kind of tunnel vision and I'm just real focused on this thing that's irritating me. But, but her reaching over and just gently touching my arm, it reminded me of her presence there. And it reminded me of how my actions could affect her and were not in line with who I really am or who I really want to, rep who I represent, who I want to be. And it was just as simple as that. And I'm just saying that this indwelt presence of the Holy Spirit, the reality of the, the Spirit of Christ in us, there, there is a way, it's a very real thing, right, that Jesus is with you all the time. I know we, we say that, and sometimes it's like, yeah, that sounds cute, but friends, when it comes to this idea, when it comes to this, this battle with deeds of the flesh, desires of the flesh versus 
desires of the Spirit, um, part of what we're being given here is, is help with that very real fight against temptation and against the foolishness that we're often pulled into. Uh, and I'm thankful for God's presence and the reality of it. I hope you are too. Verses 19 through 21, uh, this, is, this is where we start to get down into it here. Uh, the deeds of the flesh are evident, their immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I want to say this now in case I forget to say it later, that and things like these at the end, that's just to make sure you don't read that list and go, oh, my favorite sin's not in there. <laughs> and things like these. Whatever other dumb thing you've come up with, that's a deed of the flesh, okay? It's disobedient to the Lord and, and, and damaging for you. All right. Just want to make sure I caught that before I get ripping and roaring here. Uh, so one, one thing I want to show you, there's, there's, <clears throat> there's some very conspicuous grouping uh, of these deeds of the flesh, and I think it's worth noting. Uh, the first three we see is immorality, impurity, sensuality. Okay, These sins are all sexual in nature, and it is no surprise to me that they're listed first. Some of your translations might have adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, some combination of these words. Uh, but the bottom line is this, okay? The, these are meant to cover, in a general sense, all of the perverse ways that we have come up with to misuse the gift of sex that God gave us. It's all covered here, okay? In that mix, is, depending on how it's translated, and this gets difficult, but pornea is in there, and that's, that's kind of a junk drawer term for all sexual morality, okay? So, again, the same principle I said with things like these, make, make sure <laughs> if you read that and you're like, well, I don't think any of those specifically I'm doing, yes, yes you are, okay? <laughs> yes, you are. It, it, yours is covered, I promise. All right? Um, Here's, here's what we need to know. Sex was designed by God for procreation and pleasure within the safe boundaries of commitment found in the marriage covenant between one man and one woman. That's how God designed sex. So what that means is anything outside of that is sinful and destructive. Okay? Well, can you say that? Yeah. I'm just saying what the Bible says really, really plainly. I know there's those that would debate that, but it's, they're wrong, okay? It's very plain. Now, some of you may be wondering why I said I'm not surprised that these are listed first. You might be thinking, after all, aren't all sins the same? And, and we sure like saying things like, sin is sin, don't we? You ever heard that one? Well, sin is sin. Right? <laughs> How dare you? Well, here's the deal. The, all sins being the same, that idea, okay? That's true in one sense, but it's not true in another, okay? In what, in what sense is it true? It's true in the sense that the, the infinite and immeasurable grace of God is not taxed any more to forgive someone of murder than it is someone, uh, you know, stubbing their toe, letting out a string of expletives in anger, Okay? Because the, the well of the grace of God is infinite and immeasurable. You're not going to wear it out. right? So God is not taxed. He's not sweating trying to forgive someone of something heinous like murder any more than he is forgiving somebody a, a, a careless slip of the tongue. Okay? So in that sense, yes, sin is sin. 
And God's grace is amazingly powerful. Amen. Okay, thankful for that. But what it doesn't mean is that the consequences of sin here and now are all the same. It doesn't mean that. And you might be thinking, well, are you, are you on a hobby horse here, buddy? Well, no, I'm, I'm just, I just want to show you what the Bible says plainly, okay? Because if you go to 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18, you're going to see this. He says, flee, this is Paul writing to the Corinthians, flee sexual immorality for every other sin a man commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral man sins against his own body. And do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and you are not your own? What did you just hear happen there? I hope you heard Paul make a distinction between sexual immorality, sexual sins, and what did he say? Every other sin a man commits is over here, outside the body, but the sexually immoral man sins against his own body. Why is that particularly problematic? Because our body that we're then using to sin is the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? And and here's the thing. What, what What am I saying? I'm saying... God is not ignorant to the reality that certain sins are going to have greater and more more destructive consequences in our life than others. Okay? Now, I can't tell by these holy stares whether you're buying that or not. I'm just telling you what the Bible says plainly. The Bible makes a distinction between sexual sins and all other sins. I'll leave you to think about more how, how and why that could be true, but he makes it pretty plain, right? I mean, here's the thing. It's... To say that, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, what does, that, what does that bring us to think about? Well, I mean, I, I'm not big on like sacred spaces or whatever, but here's, here's the bottom line. What, what would be helpful to think about there is, is this. Like if, if you had access to the Old Testament temple and the Holy of Holies, would, would you go in there behind the curtain and be doing some of the things you're doing sexually? Would you, would you walk in here, even a space that's been designated for the worship of God, and do some of the things that, that you think are, are, you've been able to justify, come up here on this altar here and do that with who you're doing it with? I hope not. I sincerely hope not. But the reality is, because the Spirit of God doesn't dwell in buildings, but dwells in us, His people, we're doing the exact same thing. Okay? And it's damaging to us. There's... Why does he say flee sexual morality? Every other sin a man commits is outside the body. He's making this distinction. He's trying to show us and help us, man. The, 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 the going outside the boundaries on this thing, it has greater consequences and causes more damage than, than maybe some other things, okay? Does that mean I should, I'm fine to do the other things? No, man. Every, all disobedience to God is, is damaging and that's what he's trying to keep us out of because he loves us, Okay? So what, what, here's another thing I want to make sure I say while we're, while we're in this and you're already offended. Uh, you, <laughs> that whole idea of sin is sin, that sin is sin comment, okay? It's often deployed to try to shut down accountability, okay? We like to run to Jesus' words about planks and specks in the eyes when, when we're sinning and, and someone loves us enough to bring it up. But the point of Jesus' teaching there is to warn us against harsh judgment on others from a position of self-righteousness. That's the point of what Jesus is talking about. When he says, look, man, don't, don't go pulling planks, or, or, you know, don't go pulling specks when you got a plank in your own eye, right? 
That warning is it's to keep us out of that hypocritical foolishness of, of, of coming at people from this place of self-righteousness. That's, that's not the right motive to ever come to someone to try to speak the truth and love to them. But what, what it's not meant to do, those, those, that teaching of Jesus, it's not meant to be used by those who are sinning to shut down someone who is trying to speak the truth and love to them. That's not what that's for. That's a misuse of that. The, the point there is to the person... The, the, the person that may be tempted in self-righteousness to see another brother or sister stumble and, and get puffed up and, and, be, and be, be glad that they're going to be able to be the one to come and tell them about themselves, right? That's, that's what Jesus is trying to keep us out of. The, the warning there is for the one in that position. For you to be the one that is sinning and someone's trying to come to you and you try to take those verses and wield it to hold off accountability, man, you're, you're totally wrong. That's dead wrong application of those verses. You, if you're in that spot, that's not the time to pick those verses up. Leave them alone, okay? Find some other ones, okay? Ones like, uh, God is opposed to the proud, gives grace to the humble. Um, ones like, <clears throat> let me be uh, quick to listen and slow to speak. You know, stuff like that. Those are good verses to grab when you're in that position. Amen. I'll do it for myself. If you don't, I don't care. I already told you at the beginning of the sermon what was going to happen. Did I not? I did. Okay. Now we're in here. <laughs> yeah. All right. If, uh, oh, I'm not even done. That's good. If, so if you bought into the fool's mantra that only God can judge me, you better shake yourself, friend. You, look, man. You, if you got a lick of sense, you would far, far prefer a brother or sister in Christ coming to you with a love-motivated warning than just riding that thing until you're at the judgment seat of God and letting him handle it. If, if you think that's what you want, then you don't get how any of this works, okay? No. God has given us one another as a grace-filled gift for iron to sharpen iron, man. For us to, in, in friendship and care and love for one another, to, to put each other in check. <clears throat> if you got any sense at all, you will not only tolerate other believers who love you, holding you accountable, you will welcome it and you will invite it. You will seek it. You'll make sure your friends, your spouse, the people around you close enough to see when you're acting a fool, you'll make sure they know, hey man, I know you love me and if you see me in trouble or you, anything's concerning you, I don't even care if you're wrong. Come and say something to me. Because I'd, I'd rather you be wrong and us figure that out than for you to be scared I'm going to be offended and just let me rush headlong towards destruction. Amen. Hallelujah. We'll, we'll get off of that now. That's probably about all you can handle of that. <laughs> so the next, I'm told you there's these groupings, right? So the first three were all kind of sexual in nature as far as sin. The next two are sins of improper worship. Okay? They're sins of improper worship. Worship. We see idolatry here and sorcery. Okay? Here's what we need to know. We were made to worship God. We were made to worship God. It's part of the, the very reason we were created. And so that means we are worshipers by our very nature. So what that means is we are all worshiping something or someone, and idolatry is misplaced worship. That's the easiest way to understand it. And so if you're uh, still engaged and haven't checked out from the last six minutes um, and looking for an exit, you may be asking, how do I know what or who I worship? How do I know if I'm 
in this idolatry space? Well, one way to, to assess that is to really seriously, humbly take a look at, as much as you are able, what are your, what are your greatest affections? What, what occupies the most of your mental space? Where do you spend and give of your time and your talent and your treasure? These are, these are the ways to assess and find out who or what you worship. Sadly, it is possible to worship other people. It's possible to worship ourselves, our own intellect. It's possible to worship uh, some idea of success, money. Uh, there's all kinds of false gods out there that will be happy to accept your worship and lead you away into all the destruction that then ensues. Uh, but there is only one God truly worthy of our worship. The only one who created all things. And uh, we often get tripped up in worshiping the things he created instead of the creator himself. And that, when you think about it like that, is just silly. So Lord, help us, right? Stay out of that. Now, we see the word sorcery here, and I'm going to just be honest with you. It's, it's a bit weird, okay? Um, so in this does include... I think what we would traditionally think of as sorcery, things like dabbling in magic and and demonic occult practices. Uh, But the the root word here is actually the same as our English word for pharmacy, okay? So uh, what does that mean? Well, what it points to is the reality that ancient pagan worship, it often included the use of hallucinogens and other drugs as a part of those worship ceremonies and or getting people into this kind of spiritual experience. So uh, I, I will say this, we, we need to know that it's, it's not just that pagans, or and, I mean, people are doing it now too, are, people are using hallucinogens to have these spiritual experiences. It's, I think we, we need to understand that drug use of various sorts and kinds, it, it, it genuinely can and often does open people up to demonic experiences, oppression, and, and even possession uh, by the demonic. That's a real thing. Uh, I don't know, you know, there's people in this room on all different spots in their faith journey. For, so for you to hear me talk about demons or possession or oppression, you might be like, what is he talking about? I didn't think that was real. I thought we were just going to talk about being nice and that Jesus is cool. Uh, no, nah, man, demons are real. And um, it, it's, this is serious stuff. And we need to understand that um, oftentimes the, the use of drugs, and I, I mean, Maybe you don't know anybody that's had a history with drugs. I know and love and, and hang out with a lot of people that have had a history of drug use. And, uh, you know, I've heard lots of stories. They, they can corroborate this truth. That getting into this kind of stuff and opening yourself up to it, it can be a gateway. Uh, it may start with the physical intake of a drug, but, but the effects that it has, it can have a, kind of a piggyback or gateway opening effect to spiritual things that you're, you really don't want to be messing with. Okay? So... Uh, yeah, I guess, you know, don't do drugs, kids, and don't be in your garage casting spells like Harry Potter or whatever, okay? Uh, <laughs> yeah, amen. Uh, the, the, the next eight all have to do with how we think about and treat other people. Uh, and interestingly, this grouping is the largest numerically by more than double, okay? So we had sexual sins, we had these sins of, of wrong or improper worship. And now the next eight, these deeds of the flesh, have to do with how we think about and treat one another. 
probably worth thinking about. I think it tells us at, least, at the very least, God cares very much how we think about and treat people. Okay? So, let's, let's work through these. Again, I, you know, man, probably could do a sermon on each one of these, but we're, we're just, we're going to kind of cruise through here and, and hit what we can. So the word enmities, all right, some translations will say hatred, and this is, this is basically, it's a heart attitude towards people, and that often leads to many of these other sinful acts listed or these deeds of the flesh, okay? So enmity is, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a baseline heart attitude about people, okay? Uh, like I said, some translations say hatred because most of you aren't running around using the word enmity in your daily vocab. So the second here is strife, okay? And this points to a disposition, a disposition of being combative and argumentative, Okay? It, it can often fly under the guise of, oh, I'm just real. I'm just being real. It's being authentic. Take, take it or leave it. Well, okay. But here's the thing. If you have a consistently contrarian spirit and you are more skilled at seeing things to disagree about than finding common ground, you may want to slow your roll because you may be stuck in a deed of the flesh and it's called strife. All right. That's good, isn't it? Jealousy and envying. Okay, so those aren't right next to each other, but I'm, jealousy comes up next, and then envying is towards the end of this list. I'm, I'm putting those together because they're pretty closely re- related. The, the nuance between the two is that jealousy is more, it's the desire to have something someone else has. Okay? And envy is bitterness about what others have. So very close. But in either case, dear friends, let me, let me say this to you, and, and this is going to come up again because as Paul recaps, he brings up envy again, and that's really interesting at the end of this passage. I cannot overemphasize to you how many griefs people are stricken with as a result of these fleshly tendencies, jealousy and envy. I don't know why, man, but it seems like the sin of comparison, it, like it's hardwired into us. And then it is exacerbated terribly by our culture. Okay? The Bible's teaching on the body of Christ and how he has made each of us with different strengths and weaknesses so that we can come together and make each other better. That whole teaching, that idea, that is, that is strong medicine against this sickness of comparison and envy and jealousy. Okay? God is so powerful and so creative that he has a specific plan and purpose for each of us. And so, friends, we can quit measuring ourselves by everyone else. And there is real, beautiful freedom to be had in being who you are in Christ. I would would go out on a limb and venture to say, it affects people to varying degrees, but I, I, don't, I would have a very hard time imagining anybody being totally free of the temptation of comparison. And thus, then it gives birth to envy and jealousy. We, we're, we're wired to place ourselves in a social structure that way. To, to walk in and look around. Okay, where, am I, where do I fit in the pecking order? Right? But God, by his gospel, has, has really freed us from the need to do that. Okay? Um, 
We've all been made one in Christ, and that changes things, man. Amen. Outburst of anger. This one hits home. Would have been, uh, for sure, one of my, my sins of choice as a younger man, for sure. So, outburst of anger. Uh, here's what happens sometimes. Um, people will, maybe, maybe someone challenges, tries to come and speak truth and love about anger to somebody. And uh, oftentimes you'll hear people say, people say oh, well, yeah, Jesus made a whip and Jesus flipped tables, so, you know. Well, here's the, yeah, here's the thing. Jesus did flip tables, but you aren't him. <laughs> That's simple enough for you? <laughs> uh, and James said, we should be slow to anger because our anger does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Okay? That's, I mean, Proverbs says, don't even associate with a quick-tempered man. Not, not, doesn't just say don't be one. Don't even associate with that guy. He's going to pull you into his foolishness. It's, it's, it's a real issue, man. And you need, we've got to judge ourselves about how long our wick is and pray for God to help us by the power of his spirit to have a longer one. Now, there is the other side of that coin. There are things that should make us angry because they make God angry. But, but being quick-tempered is not holy or helpful, ever. Thankfully, the anger of God is a slow burn, Right? Because if it wasn't, we'd all be wiped out. Me? You mean me too? Yeah, you, man, especially. What do you mean? Goodness. All right. <laughs> this, I'm having fun. I, you guys aren't, but I am. It's great for me. Okay, uh, disputes, dissensions, factions, okay? That's where we are. Disputes, dissensions, and factions. These are all different ways that our tendency for disunity manifests itself. Okay, and some of it has to do with these other deeds of the flesh and how that ends up causing us to bump into each other. But these three all basically are talking about the, the disunity that we are bent towards as humans. Uh, you know, here's the thing, man. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And man, it's funny. The internet has even seemed to, it's made this for sure worse I don't see many people placing high value on a peacemaker uh, very, very often. Why do you say that? Well, just go to any comment section about anything. It can be an ad about ketchup, man, and you'll have people in the bottom of that thing typing like they want to kill each other, disagreeing over the thickness and flavor profile of ketchup or whatever the thing is. You fool! How could you like thick ketchup? I like it runny. And anyone that doesn't should die. Right? What, what dude? Hold on, man. It's, it's just ketchup, okay? But, but, you, you'll, you'll, but then you often see people going to get pulled into that. There's like a gravitational pull to that disunity, to those kind of arguments, and it gets people hyped up, and then and then there's, there seems to be this value on, on the internet about, how, you know, and, and this happens in real life too, but the internet, you know, keyboards are like alcohol. It makes people brave. It's pretty, pretty frustrating. Uh, <laughs> when I was a younger man, there's a few people I'd like to meet who was behind the keyboard. You know, never mind. <laughs> Thankfully, I'm older and slower now and less likely to think like that. Uh, but my, my point is that this, this disunity... 
part of the thing is, man, we don't value peacemakers. It's like the, the, the people that get the most likes and follows and this and that, la, da, da, it's, it's those that can, that can really zing somebody, really burn somebody, man. It's not, it's not people that are looking to actually build bridges instead of build walls. And look, man, like we saw last week with Paul and the, and the Judaizers, it doesn't mean there's never time for strong language. It doesn't mean there's not even times where, like Paul was saying last week, look, man, you guys with circ- this circumcision deal, if you think cutting off a, a little is going to make you holy, you know, he cut the whole thing off, right? So Paul's making fun of these guys and, and the heresies that they're, they're throwing out here and, and the destruction they're causing in people's life. But, but overall, there's this, this, there's this comeback around Right? He's making this argumentation. He's trying to really show how foolish it is to depend on the law for your salvation. But then, but then he comes through here and starts to talk about the, the fruit of the Spirit and, and how, even though we may disagree, man, there, there needs to be this baseline level of unity. John 17 is a high priestly prayer. It's the longest prayer we have recorded from Jesus. It's the last prayer we have recorded from Jesus before he goes to the cross. And he spends a great bulk of that prayer praying about unity among us, God's people. He prays something so audacious even to say that that we would be one as he and the Father are one. So so there's a goal that we haven't reached, right? If you're like, oh, I'm bored in my Christianity. I feel like I've done it all. Well, just how about unity with all the other believers like God and the Father and God the Son have? Have you done that one yet? Nope. Turn your attention over there, okay? You won't get bored. We're like, having any idea what walking in love really means. Like, you, you haven't done it yet. You, you ain't done. <clears throat> I don't want to jump ahead. Okay, drunkenness and carousing, okay? I'm just going to do this quick. A lot more that could be said, but regardless of your position on whether or not Christians should consume alcohol, there is no ambiguity when it comes to drunkenness, okay? So not just here where it's listed as the deed of the flesh. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk with wine in which there is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, Okay? So similar line of thinking, uh, exactly what we're talking about now in terms of being empowered by the Spirit. So uh, now here's where that gets <laughs> interesting. Uh, you know, the question comes up, well, what is drunk, right? Because you know, a lot of people are like, well, I've seen someone drunker than I am right now, so I'm not drunk, right? Like <laughs> you know, if, they're not, if they're not, you know, doing headers into the curb or whatever, it's like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm good. I'm really good. Uh, Here's the thing, man. If, if you're not sober, okay, if you're not thinking the way and talking the way you would talk when you're sober because you've consumed a certain amount of alcohol, what are you? And some of you are going to want to go, buzzed! I'm not drunk, I'm buzzed! Well, hold on, let me check real quick if I can find buzzed in here anywhere. Nope, I didn't find it. It's sober or drunk. So which one are you? Now, I can't draw a thick black line for you on that, and the Bible doesn't, okay? If you're somebody that believes there's liberty for a Christian to consume alcohol within the boundaries of Scripture, I can't tell you it's like, well, you know, eight ounces of wine and that's it, right? That's, that's not the way this works. Part of what we're looking at here is that we need to be led by the Spirit. But you need to care about it, you need to think about it, and not be sloppy about it, because drunkenness is a deed of the flesh, Amen. Okay. Carousing or revelries, those are kind of time-wasting, foolish activities of people who lack purpose, and they're often fueled by drunkenness. So it kind of gets tucked in there with that. All right. That was neat, wasn't it? Verses 22 and 23. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Most people think that part at the end there's a little joke. Against such things there is no law. It's kind of like this obvious tongue-in-cheek, like uh, the whole discussion here is around, you know, dependence on the law and all of that. And that most people see that as kind of a little, <clears throat> little underhanded poke of fun there by the apostle. So I like when those are in there. I like to think Paul and Jesus and others had a sense of humor. Uh, okay, so what do we? So this this is this set of verses is a very very stark contrast. Okay, it's, I mean to miss that we what are we even looking at? We got the deeds of the flesh and we have the fruit of the spirit. Okay, and so they're obviously positioned in a contrast to one another. And and what do we see in that contrast? Well, many things. One is that the deeds of the flesh are done by your power. The fruit of the Spirit grows by God's power. One thing important to keep in mind, how do we know, right? Because there, there, there may even be some things that I'm doing that, that look good or might even look like what the fruit of the Spirit are listed here. How do I know if it genuinely is? Well, one way to really think about it is who gets glory, who gets credit for what it is you're doing? First of all, in your heart. That's the most important place. And then secondly... Outside of that, if anyone else notices what's happening, who are they glorifying? Are they clapping for you or are they clapping for Jesus? That's one way to know if this is a fruit of the Spirit or a deed of the flesh. And I'm talking about whether it's, you know, hopefully nobody's clapping for you if it's anything in the list above in terms of the deeds of the flesh. But what I'm trying to tell you is there's stuff that could even look like the fruit of the Spirit done for the wrong reasons, done for selfish motives, done for self-glorification that honestly... Sometimes that stuff can be even more dangerous than the stuff in the list above in terms of the deeds of the flesh. So a lot more I could say about that, but got to keep going. Um, Think about this. A, A machine can do works, but only a living thing can produce fruit. That's an important distinction, right? Because we are dead in our trespasses and sins, right? We're still doing stuff. It's kind of like a machine, but, but when we bec- we're made alive in Christ, man, we're, we're grafted into this vine where Christ is the vine and we're the branches. And now we have this potential to produce fruit. And the beautiful thing about fruit is it's different than a machine. Like if a machine does something, it assembles something or whatever, it's got to keep doing that thing over and over again to, for more of that to happen. What's really cool about fruit is not only when fruit comes off of something does it like provide sustenance for whoever pulled it, but within that fruit is a seed that when planted now promulgates more of itself further. And so that happens in the life of the believer as the fruit of the Spirit uh, takes control and more and more of that is, is growing in your heart. But it also then becomes a, a great benefit to others. Amen for that. Uh, many have said, uh, notably Martin Luther, but many others, <clears throat> and I agree with this, that, that love, love is the fruit of the Spirit. And the rest of these are specific outworkings of love. Okay? I'm going to, I'll show you that as well as I can. Kind of big idea, like, like love is like the one ring to rule them all for all my Tolkien fan friends. Okay? <laughs> That's cool. Four of you knew what that meant. You guys need to read something. Or at least, I mean, there's movies now. You could at least do that. Lord Jesus. Just one of the greatest literary works of our, you know, last five centuries. Not a big deal or anything. Uh, <clears throat> so if, if the fruit of the Spirit listed here is 
is the contrast to the deeds of the flesh that we just looked at. It, it follows logically, if, if we're keeping with the flow of thought through the entire book, that love would be the summary. Especially when we consider that we're told elsewhere that love is the fulfillment of the whole law, right? Because those deeds of the flesh, those are all violations of God's law in different creative, sick ways that we come up with, yes? But, but what we found out is the fulfillment of the whole law is love. And so, ooh, you see that? How many of you would have laughed if I tripped? Be honest right now. That's a deed of the flesh right there. They didn't list it here, but I'll find it elsewhere. Um, no, I, I would have laughed at you if you tripped. It's okay. As long as you weren't hurt. <clears throat> um, but, so when, when we consider that we're told elsewhere, love is the fulfillment of the whole law, then, then it follows that if these fruit of the Spirit are being listed as the contrast right underneath these deeds of the flesh, these deeds of the flesh are violations of the law, then, and it's interesting that Paul doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit here. He says the fruit of the Spirit. What that also points us to is this reality. This is not to be confused with like the gifts of the Spirit listed in 1 Corinthians 12 and sprinkled here and there. This, this is not something where there are, there are different specific gifts kind of given out by the Holy Spirit's will and through his power to different believers, right? It's not the same as that. This fruit of the Spirit, it's being given to us as, as it's, it's an expectation of what to be present in every believer. If you have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside of you, then these are the things that we're going to see for everybody. Okay, so that's important to think about. It's not like you can go through here and say, oh yeah, I like kindness and goodness. Uh, patience, nope, I don't like that one. Not gonna do that one. Nope. No, 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 no. That's not how this works. When we see this and then we see a departure in our own behavior, thoughts, or whatever from what's listed here, what we do then is say, Lord, I wanna repent and recognize that I am not exhibiting the fruit of your spirit in that area. Please help me. I want to grow in that. Amen. Okay. Uh, and you, I want to... I've said it, but I, I want to give you at least one more piece of evidence here for this idea that, that all the rest of these fruit of the Spirit are really outworkings of, of love. Keeping an idea that this fruit of the Spirit is the contrast of these deeds of the flesh and all that we've seen thus far throughout the entire book. Okay? So listen, listen carefully to 1 Corinthians 13, most of you have heard this before, verses four through eight, but keep in mind this, the deeds of the flesh that we just listed and the fruit of the spirit that we just read and looked at, okay? And, and listen carefully for overlap, all right? Love is patient, love is kind. It is not jealous, it does not brag, it is not arrogant, it does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own is not easily provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things and believes all things. It hopes all things and endures all things. Love never fails. Did you hear any overlap between those deeds of the flesh, the fruit of the spirit, and this description of love? I hear a lot I hope you did too. This all ties together, and it's helpful for us to know that. It's helpful for us when we may seem lost in the midst of the maelstrom of, of the fight of sin and temptation, all that. What do I do? Where do I look? What's my anchor to hold to? 
It's Christ, it's his gospel, and it's love. What do I need to do? Love. Run to it. You'll always be safe there. Where do I need to grow? I'm not sure. There's always more to grow in love. Because if what, you're, if what you're hearing in this, you're like, oh my gosh, here he goes again. Especially if you've been around here for any amount of time. Like the name of the church is Love City Church. You know, like I'm, you know, I'm always banging the drum, right? About love. You're like, oh, I've heard it so many times. I get it, man. No, you don't though. No, you don't. Okay? Because 1 John 4 says twice that God is love. So if you're willing to walk up to me and say, oh yeah, I've got God totally figured out, total, all the way to the end. I see it all. I get him all the way. Yep. Got it all understood, and I'm walking it all out exactly perfectly. Man, I'm so scared for you. You're in big trouble. And love is the same way, man. You're you're never going to walk it out perfectly, nor are you going to understand the full depth of it this side of eternity. And I don't even know if in our fully glorified state we're going to be able to get the whole thing. It's that deep. It's that immeasurably infinite. So, So buckle up. I'm... Buckle up for this reality. I'm going to be growing in my understanding and my application of the love of God for the rest of my life. Always. I'm not going to get to the end of it. I don't think there is one, right? Amen. You, you can, I mean, I'm happy about it. I hope you can get there. <clears throat> Verse 24, okay? Well, real, let's, we'll take just a second and do this, okay? I mean, I wanted to... What's real important, I think, is because you can go listen to the sermon series, and I broke down each of these fruit of the Spirit at length and the nuance and the difference between these outworkings of love and why it would be included and all that. But the more you can understand this kind of bottom line theme that's moving through here, I think the better off we'll be. But when we look at, so love is listed first, and I think I've made my case for why I think that is, and other theologians, I'm not out on a limb by myself there. Uh, you've, got, you've got joy, right? Joy, there's a distinction between this, the kind of joy that's the fruit of the Spirit and elation or happiness, right? Joy, according to Philippians, is something that we can have that it surpasses understanding, right? It's, it's joy that's regardless of circumstance, and the peace that's listed here is, is very similar in that way. There's a, there's a wholeness and a completeness to this peace that is the fruit of the Spirit, and we have that joy and we have that peace because we have seen the love of God for us in Christ, right? So that makes me less anxious around circumstances so I can have joy whether things are going exactly like I wish they would or not. I can have peace in those same scenarios. Why? How? Well, God has shown how much he loves me. He's shown how powerful he is. I'm, I'm going to be okay. Amen. So the fruit of the Spirit is that I have joy and I have peace. Not just enough for me to not freak out, but even some to share. Amen. You've got, uh, you've got patience. You know, if I had to guess, I would say most of us <laughs> know there's room to grow on the old, on the old patience meter. Um, but it's, it's what, is, what is that? Again, it's, it's an outflow of love. It's something we look to the love of God. We see how patient he has been with us, how long-suffering he has been with us. And then it's something I want to reflect and emulate with the people in my life that annoy me or frustrate me. Oh, it's not you. I'm just kidding. You've got kindness and goodness. Those are almost twins. Pretty, I mean, you guys know what kindness is. Goodness has with it also a connotation of generosity in kindness. And so, you know, these are fruit of the Spirit. They flow out of people that are overcome, overwhelmed with the love of God. Faithfulness, man, that one. It's, it's worth 
pointing this reality out, I, many of us, we, we, we get caught up in like this, sometimes like delusions of grandeur. Like and some, anything that looks like an ordinary life is somehow not good enough or somehow, and, and, and this can sometimes be promoted in the way that the Bible is preached, right? Because people will go through the Old Testament and they'll pick somebody that did some big thing in the grand narrative of redemption. You know, be like Gideon, be like Samson, be like David, be like, and you know, those aren't the points of those stories. And, and also, it puts people in this weird position of like, if, it, if there's not something like wild going on in their life that can be pointed to as some you know, mega accomplishment or whatever, they feel like they're not being faithful or they're not being a world changer or whatever. But look, man, sometimes God will grab people by his sovereign will and for his purposes and do something with them that, that looks different than, than an ordinary life. But man, the overall, like the changing of the world happens through a bunch of people being faithful to basic Christianity. Okay? The goal here is not, is not uh, for, for everybody to, to be out here being a world changer, whatever that means to them, right? Like a lot of what happens in, in terms of the gospel being spread is, is people living everyday lives as believers, and being willing in the midst of that going and that existing to be a witness uh, for the supremacy of Christ and his worthiness to be worshipped. So there's more I could say about that. That probably wasn't as tidy as I'd like it to be, but I got to keep moving here. So I hope the principle, at least the principle landed. Um, uh, Faithfulness, gentleness, um, and self-control. Gentleness is, is interesting. I think a lot of times people conceptualize gentleness as, as weakness. And men oftentimes struggle with this, but I want you to understand something. Gentleness as a fruit of the spirit, it is not weakness. It is, it's discipline in the proper application of strength. Because to be gentle, you actually have to have the strength to not be gentle. If you're not, you, you, you can... Just be weak and like not a threat, that's, that's something different. But to be gentle, you actually have, have to have the strength to choose not to be, right? And that's, that's something that is really, I think Jesus exemplified very, very well. Jesus knew when to be tough and when to be tender. And that's something that men of God, I mean, women of God as well, but I'm, I'm just, particularly the guys, man, I want, don't be afraid to pray and ask God to help you be gentle, and really understand that um, that's a sign of strength, not weakness, okay? Uh, and and self-control, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So these are the fruit of the Spirit, all outworkings of love, all specifics of the way love kind of flows out into the world in these different ways. Uh, let's look at verses 25 and 26. No, sorry, 24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Uh, It's interesting that self-control is the last fruit of the Spirit. And then he says this. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, there is this overall theme here of dependence on the power of the Spirit, and that is absolutely the big point. But it's interesting here. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, not the Spirit comes and crucifies the flesh for you. There is an element here of the application 
and, and, and exertion. We're not putting hope or faith in our own power to do any of this. All of our hope is in the grace, mercy, and power of God. But that doesn't mean that we, when we receive the message of grace, that we just lay down and kind of put our feet up in the air and get the Holy Spirit to grab us and drag us along like my kids like me to drag them around the house, right? I mean, every night before bed, he's gotten better about it now, but for a long time, man, we'd be out on the couch praying and, and literally my son, we get done praying, he would lay back, pop his legs up and say, dad, carry me to bed. I'm like, bro, you, you're pushing 80 pounds, dude, and I'm getting old. Like, no, walk, Okay. But that's sometimes how people think that great, that's what grace means, right? That I'm just, now I'm going to coast. No, no, no. There's, there is an application of effort on our part. It just comes down to where, where are we placing our faith? Is our faith in us or in him? Okay? Um, and, and who gets the glory for anything that comes out of the application of our effort in these things, right? Well, the only way I'm going to do any of it is, is through Christ. So he gets the glory. Amen. All right. 25 and 26, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Interesting, man. We went through the deeds of the flesh. All this stuff, man, some really like interesting bad things in there, right? But then he caps this thing off with envying one another. Comes back to envy. Wow. And I want to just take a minute to acknowledge that of all the things he could have repeated out of the deeds of the flesh... It was envy. I'm telling you, man, this comparison thing is killing us. It's hurting us bad. It's hurting you. We got to put this thing to death. We need to let the love of God win out over this. I want, us, I want to just take a moment as, as we cap this off to let it, hopefully point us to how the gospel sets you free from this envy thing. And you might be like, what does that even mean? What are you talking about? I would say there's three primary ways, but there's lots of other ways this could manifest itself. But I think oftentimes people get into this envy and jealousy thing when it comes to comparing themselves physically, financially, and relationally to other people. Okay, It's rampant in our culture to have some ideal of physical beauty and then compare ourselves to it, compare ourselves to one among the other, and, and to then rate ourselves somehow on this social rating system in terms of physical appearance, look, man, do you, do you understand that, that what has been perceived as physically beautiful has changed dramatically over time, right? For the most part, uh, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't have TikTok, but I'm assuming uh, the people, the, the girls that are on there dancing around getting the most likes are probably skinny-ish and tan, is that right, basically, for the most part? That's like the ideal of beauty? Yes? Has it changed? Am I wrong? I don't know. You guys don't know. Okay. None of you are on TikTok because you're reading your Bibles. Praise the Lord. That's great. <laughs> I think the last I knew, kind of the ideal of beauty in Western culture was relatively thin and, and tan. Well, you know, go back several hundred years, right? Around, you know, coming up through the dark ages and stuff. For, for a woman to be heavy and, and uh, pale was the ideal of beauty because that meant she didn't work outside. So she was probably wealthy and... That was desirable. So I'm just saying, man, why would you hitch your wagon and, and your sense of self-worth to something that fluctuates? Just, I mean, just look at fashion. Look at the dumb things we do with like designs and fabric and stuff and then get people to buy it to feel cool. It's so dumb. I, I just, it's like, oh man. And, and I know it in some ways, you know, whatever. Commerce turns the world around and it's all very complicated. But 
I'm just talking about how you think about yourself. Man, you are fearfully, wonderfully made by God. Lean into that, man. It's okay. Quit comparing yourself to other people. That's, that's not helping you for sure. Financially, you know, people, they, they'll look around what other people got and don't have, what they have and don't have, and, and that comparison will eat them up. Relationally, people that are, are, you know, you got people that are not married looking at married people like, man, I wish I had that. You got people that are married looking at not married people thinking, man, I wish I had that. You know, you got uh, people with different sized families and, and whatever, and, and, and then there's this epidemic of isolation and loneliness that, of course, has, has been inflamed through all of the COVID stuff. So, um, the, you know, I think these are the three main ways people get caught into this envy stuff, but how do you stay out of it? Well, first of all, it's just, it's knowing and, and believing that you are somebody in Christ and putting, putting some effort into figuring out who that is. Who has God made you to be? So that you can focus on, because look, you are supposed to be doing comparison, but not with everyone around you, with Christ. It's Christ's image that you're being conformed into, right? So if, I mean, I'm saying, <laughs> and sometimes look, doing that, like, look, okay, I'll say, oh, Christ is the model I'm supposed to be comparing myself to, not everybody else. Uh, I mean, unless you've got a really healthy understanding of like the fact that he's long-suffering and patient and going to keep working with you, man, you could end up real, real depressed comparing yourself to Jesus too. But at the end of the day, the distance between us and him is, uh, is part of what keeps us humble and understanding how dependent we are on him, which is a mega theme of the scriptures. But here's, here's some bottom lines on this. It's pretty hard to truly love people and be jealous of what they have or bitter that they have it. Mm-hmm. And, and the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit is our helper, right? This whole section is about the Spirit and empowering us and the fruit of the Spirit in us. The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit is our helper, but what is he helping us with? Well, lots of things, but there, there is a primary thing. Let me, sh- let me read this to you. John 15, 26. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, this is Jesus speaking, namely the Spirit of truth who comes from the Father, he will testify about me. The primary thrust of the Holy Spirit and how he helps us is pointing us to Jesus. And we can't fix our eyes on Jesus without getting a view of the gospel. I'm going somewhere with this. We're almost done. Think about this with me. The gospel shows us what love really looks like, and it provides the only path to true freedom that can be found. The gospel teaches us that our bodies belong to Christ because he redeemed us from death with his blood, and so we should honor him with our bodies. The gospel teaches us that God is both infinitely good and powerful, so he alone is worthy of our worship. The gospel teaches us that people are loved and valued by God, so they should be loved and valued by us. The gospel teaches that our life and purpose is intertwined like branches on a vine, so that we can be radically for each other and walk in supernatural unity. What's the point? Here's how I want to end this. Here's what I want you to see. This, this is super important bottom line. To walk in the Spirit, what does that mean? In, in one sense, it really means to walk in in light of and in line with the gospel. Let me say that one more time. I know you guys are ready to go. This is real important. 
To walk in the Spirit in at least one sense, it means to walk in light of and in line with the gospel. I, I laid out a little bit here just to show you how that works. It just keeps going. So what does that mean? Where does that leave us? Friends, it leaves us with this great hope. It's, this is my prayer for us today, that we would walk in a manner worthy of the name of Christ for his glory and for our good. And that we would walk in the power of the Spirit and in the fruit that he provides. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. God, thank you for this incredibly dense set of verses. Thank you for the truth contained therein. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for the help of your Holy Spirit in navigating that. And uh, I thank you, Lord, for all the work you're doing in the hearts of your people right now that only you can do. I thank you that your presence is here. Your spirit is here because we are here and you have chosen to dwell in us to make us your New Testament temple. So when we, your people, come here, you are here and you are at work among us. Thank you for the power of your word to come in and to to shake us, to help us, to cut on us, to do things in us that, that only it can do. Thank you, Lord, for the fruit of your spirit. Thank you for the depth and the breadth and the beauty of your love. God, help us to, to humbly seek after more and more truth and understanding of, of what that even means and, and your help to walk it out. Um, thank you, Lord, uh, for the fruit of your spirit. We want to, we want to walk in those, we want to exhibit those fruit, uh, not just because of, of the blessing that it brings in our life, but because it equips and helps us to be a blessing to others. And uh, Lord, you have... For those that belong to you, you have changed our hearts. The deepest desire that we have is to honor you and to love you and to love others and serve them. And uh, For some of us, God, that, that greatest, deepest desire can get covered over with other lesser things. We just, we just ask for your help, God, to push all of that away, um, that we can operate in who we really are and what we really want, which is to glorify your name, to serve you. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.